Thanks for joining us on Transportation Radio as we continue our series Profiling the State DOTs. It's my pleasure to welcome Aubrey Lane, the Secretary of Transportation for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Secretary Lane, thanks so much for being here today. Uh, Bernie, thanks for having me on your show. While this series is profiling state DOTs, Virginia is a bit different from the states that we've profiled so far. As Secretary of Transportation, you serve as the Chairman of the Commonwealth Transportation Board, and that board in turn oversees VDOT as well as rail and public transportation, motor vehicles, and the Virginia Port Authority, among others. For those of us who are unfamiliar with how transportation is managed in Virginia, could you please explain a bit about your role, the board's role, and the agencies that you're responsible for uh, in terms of transportation in the state, please? You are correct. As my role as secretary, I am also the chairman of the Commonwealth Transportation Board. Its primary function, though, is only overviews uh, Virginia Department of Transportation, our roads, and Department of Rail and Public Transit, which would include uh, transit and rail. Um, the spaceport, the port, uh, the division of motor vehicles uh, is not administered through that board, but through my secretariat. Um, so um, we have about $6 billion of transportation funds that run through the Commonwealth each year. Over $5 billion go through the Commonwealth Transportation Board because most are allocated to surface transportation and roads. Um, and uh, they are charged with, under Virginia statute, that 14-member citizen board uh, is charged with allocating the, those monies not only to regions but to specific projects across the Commonwealth. So as chairman of that, um, uh, certainly uh, very much involved uh, in how we choose projects uh, and serving the governor's uh, his, his transportation plan, but at the end of the day, it is this independent board that makes the final decision. So uh, what we've tried to do is uh, to really fun- uh, focus on the um, aspects of uh, the particular project from a transportation perspective and try to limit both state or local uh, parochial politics or issues uh, as we uh, allocate these resources, like many states. Um, we have limited resources. We have many more needs than we have um, the, uh, the ability to uh, fund all those needs. So picking the right tr- uh, projects is very critical, and that's the primary focus of this board. You're the first state transportation CEO that we've spoken to that also oversees an agency responsible for space flight. Now, what's that about? Yes, Virginia is one of just several states uh, that does have a space flight authority. Ours is based uh, uh, on the eastern shore at the Wallops uh, Space Flight Facility. We share with our federal partners there, both NASA and United States Navy. Uh, we have two pads uh, that support launches uh, uh, to, to space. Uh, one of them, uh, with our partner Orbital, uh, we have a contract uh, to supply the International Space Station. So there's between two and three uh, flights a year going to the space station. And Bernie, I'll uh, tell you, it's a one-way flight. Uh, the cargo goes up, uh, docks at the space station, uh, and then after taking the cargo off, they put waste on uh, the capsule. Uh, it is let free from the International Space Station, and then, of course, it burns up on its way back to Earth. So, uh, we do not have any manned spaceflight out of Virginia. It, it is all uh, related to cargo supplying the space station. Um, and then, of course, we have another pad 
uh, we can handle both solid uh, fuel rockets and those liquid fuel rockets, uh, which are used for putting satellites into space uh, and types of educational and other uh, uses. So Virginia is unique. Uh, that's an opportunity for us not only uh, as uh, serving uh, uh, the country, uh, but also in uh, highlighting those type of jobs that are spun off from the space facility, those high-paying uh, jobs in, uh, in the STEM uh, uh, area, uh, and that helps uh, with us in our education of our workforce, um, but also uh, in attracting business to the Commonwealth. With Virginia, uh, particularly in the Washington, D.C. area, you're really part of a region that is responsible for transportation, and that includes WMATA as far as subway and bus service uh, in northern Virginia and going into D.C. and Maryland, and obviously the highways that connect in that area. What are some of the challenges with trying to coordinate in such a populated area, and obviously one because it's the seat of the federal government that gets so much attention? Yes, that part of our state uh, with our uh, partners in uh, Maryland and D.C. Uh, is unique. It's highly populated, and, of course, uh, we have various jurisdictions that are responsible for the transportation uh, in the quarter. Uh, we have found that uh, in Virginia uh, that transportation is really regional in nature, that um, um, it's not parochial or local-based. You have to uh, have intra-region travel and you also have to have uh, those regions connected. That's a little more challenging in the area that you speak of because we're not just dealing with Virginia jurisdictions, but also those, again, of D.C. and Maryland. Um, from the perspective of governance, that makes it a little more difficult because you have uh, different uh, political parties, political agendas for those in control. But we have found a way to work with them um, and keeping, again, politics to a minimum as we deliver uh, the uh, transportation needs in the area. I think there's been a general understanding that as, if the region grows, everybody's better off. Uh, you are right. We've, uh, the transportation systems in that area also support uh, our federal seat of government, uh, and many uh, federal employees ride on those facilities. So it's not just taking care of the region. That is many of those transportation uh, assets are the nation's assets because they run our, our, our large seat of federal government there. So I'm happy to report we have a great working relationship with D.C. Uh, and Maryland. Not that we don't have our challenges, uh, but we do work together. Uh, and you mentioned WMATA. That's our most pressing need now uh, as to how we fund that going forward, the reforms needed um, to bring that back to a world-class transportation uh, transit authority. Uh, and uh, we work very closely with Maryland and D.C. on that, uh, and I think uh, uh, we'll have a resolution of that sometime in the next six to seven months. Uh, we're very comfortable with the current leadership, uh, some very good things going on, but we know we have a lot to still in front of us to deal with there. We talked a little earlier about some of the things that make Virginia unique as far as transportation. When it comes to VDOT, one of the biggest agencies that you oversee, one of the ways that it is different is that unlike many other states that maybe perhaps the state highway agency is responsible for major roadways throughout the state, VDOT has responsibility for most of the roadways in the state, even local streets. How did that come about? 
Uh, yes, you're right. Uh, the breakdown is is that uh, uh, VDOT controls about 60,000 lane miles. That's center lane miles. If you were to add each direction and others, obviously be a lot more than that. We're the third largest uh, state-controlled uh, network in the country. Um, and uh, primarily VDOT is responsible for not only the interstates, uh, but the roads in all of the counties in Virginia. Uh, most municipalities are responsible for their local roads, most cities. But, of course, in northern Virginia, you have some very, very populated counties that we're responsible for. Um, this all came about back really in the 1930s um, when all the roads were locally controlled um, and then as the, we saw the need, the state saw the need to make sure there were connections between a growing state, that VDOT took over those roads in the counties. Uh, and then um, as uh, the cities grew and wanted to have a more control over their particular uh, local roads, we did delegate that to the cities. But there still is a lot of coordination that goes on. And, of course, VDOT provides the funds even for those city roads, um, based on the formulas that come through with our, our transportation funding. So um, we do serve a very significant role in making sure uh, that the roads are clear, certainly during inclement weather, snowstorms. We're responsible for making sure they're going, uh, and certainly in allocating the funds and making sure uh, that it's just not these major roads that are getting taken care of, but all the local uh, and county roads throughout the state of Virginia. So big job at VDOT. I'm happy to say they do a very, very good job. Um, and um, um, it all comes down to being able to work with our local uh, partners uh, in keeping the roads uh, in, in the shape they're in. You also had mentioned that one of the areas of responsibility as far as transportation under you is the Port of Virginia. The Port of Virginia set a volume record last month, May, and that follows a record-setting year in 2016 as well as 2015. To what do you attribute uh, those records that uh, the Port of Virginia has been setting? You know, that's, that's a great point. When uh, we came into office in 2014 with Governor McAuliffe, um, uh, the Port of Virginia had gone through a, a, a failed privatization effort where the previous administration had looked at whether or not it made sense for a third-party operator to maintain the port. Obviously, uh, the Port of Virginia is, uh, is, is a key economic uh, generator for the Commonwealth. Uh, it supports one out of eight or nine jobs in the Commonwealth, both directly or indirectly, uh, and arguably our greatest uh, asset. Uh, the McAuliffe administration took a different view and said, no, we need to control our own destiny. We're the largest uh, uh, deep water port. Uh, we're already at 50 uh, feet channel going to 55 feet. Uh, and with the opening of the Panama Canal, uh, which allowed these larger ships to come through, with our central location here on the East Coast, now from the important Asia markets, um, we're about same distance, 11,300 miles one way, east way around the globe, or 11,700 miles the other way. So in times of economic or political turmoil, um, you can get to the Commonwealth of Virginia port um, about the same time from those important Asia markets. Uh, when you combine that with many of the retailers in the country are now looking at a, a bi-coastal distribution policy uh, because of the population trends, uh, the Port of Virginia, with its uh, service by two Class 1 railroads, both Norfolk Southern and CSX, 
can get to a majority of the East Coast and Midwest population within 24 hours. So that made sense for us with our natural attributes to invest in the port. Uh, we have now uh, put in almost uh, $650 million in expanding the Port of Virginia. That will give us an additional million TEUs or units of cargo each year, so about a third more than we're taking now. So, Bernie, when you combine all that, what was going on uh, economically around the globe uh, with trade patterns changing with the opening of the Panama Canal, uh, Virginia found itself in a great uh, strategic uh, position. Commonwealth took advantage of that, and I think that is what's driving uh, the, the growth here at the Commonwealth with its port. Talking about cargo at ports, one of the things that moves through ports is coal. There's been obviously some changes in the economy that have affected coal. It affects the two big railroads that you had mentioned, the Class 1 railroad, CSX and Norfolk Southern. Has that really had much of an impact on transportation in Virginia, that, that shift away from coal in terms of not being as big a commodity as it once was? Well, certainly uh, uh, coal uh, or the, uh, the, the reduction in its, in its production uh, and export um, has been felt in Virginia, certainly in the coal fields um, uh, with those uh, areas of the state that have uh, been uh, depressed because of the reduction in coal and certainly um, the um, carriers uh, that ship the coal abroad have had to look for other um, uh, resources to fill that gap. Now, uh, the Port of Virginia is made up not only of the state-controlled facility, but Norfolk Southern itself owns a, uh, a distribution port here for coal here in Hampton Roads. Uh, and, of course, uh, they have been hit by that reduction. Um, what we've been trying to do is to work with them in other intermodal type of, of goods, uh, whether it be agricultural bulk business or uh, additional automotive uh, uh, imports and exports to offset that. Um, Interestingly, in the last few months, we've seen a little bit uptick in coal, uh, but with the move to clean energy uh, and uh, the economics of that now uh, becoming a competitive, it appears that uh, coal will not rebound to where it was uh, and that um, um, I think everybody involved in that is planning for that eventuality, including the Port of Virginia. Two areas where Virginia has been a leader nationally are public-private partnerships and high occupancy toll lanes. What's been some of your more recent experiences with both of those things? Yes, in fact, uh, I just got back from two days uh, in New York and invited to speak on public-private partnerships. And then just a couple weeks ago, I was in front of uh, Congress testifying uh, on uh, uh, public-private partnerships in relation to President Trump's new um, uh, infrastructure plan. Um, we have been a leader in Virginia in these partnerships, and quite frankly, we've had both good and bad experiences uh, with them. Um, and as a result of that, uh, coming, coming into office with Governor McAuliffe, we went through a reforms of our Public-Private Partnership Act, where now we make sure that it's not only in the public's, uh, a public purpose, but it has to be in the public's best interest. Typically, these uh, projects are large in nature. They include another revenue source, primarily tolls here in Virginia. Um, so to make sure that we are delivering to the toll payers the best deal possible, we now have to make sure the state, first of all, determines what it is the project would be, what it would cost, and determine if a third party can provide those services at a lesser uh, cost to the Commonwealth. 
it's really you have to prove a value-added um, uh, proposition. So with that, uh, we the first one we did under the new reforms were Interstate 66. It's 22 miles in northern Virginia, a heavily congested area. And I'm, and I'm, I'm really happy to point out a very successful procurement. Uh, and uh, actually the, the private sector significantly beat the terms in which the state could build the road itself. So we are a big believer in public-private partnerships. Uh, they have supported uh, uh, quite a bit of building in the 95 area that you mentioned earlier with, uh, with hot lanes, and this gives our motorists a choice. If you don't want to pay the toll, you can stay in the free lanes, but for every person that chooses to pay that toll, for its convenience, it frees up capacity in the free lane. So all our motorists benefit. But I'd point out that public-private partnerships will only fill a small piece of what the infrastructure needs are in not only the Commonwealth but our nation. Uh, there are procurement uh, option that makes sense uh, in certain situations, uh, but the, they are not a substitute for public investment in roads. That was one of the things that I was testifying in front of Congress while we've been a leader uh, there are many, we've got uh, somewhere between three and four trillion dollars of unmet needs in this country, and majority of those are having to rebuild current infrastructure, uh, which would not, in most cases, suit a public-private partnership. So encouraging our, our federal partners to continue to invest in transportation, uh, but also certainly know, just like we've done in Virginia, having to prioritize projects and making sure that the citizens are getting their best bang for the buck. Um, but uh, it's going to take not only public-private partnerships, but all kinds of other sources of transportation funding to, to fill the need we have in this country. My first professional interactions with Virginia DOT go back to the mid-1990s when the I-95 Quarter Coalition was first being set up. And I recall being wowed when I went down to Virginia and saw some of the transportation management centers that Virginia had set up, and certainly they were a leader in ITS. Obviously, it's been a number of years from the mid-1990s to where we are today in 2017, but give us a bit of an update. What's happening now in Virginia with ITS and a new uh, system, automated vehicles? Well, you're exactly right. That is going to be the wave of the future, uh, automated vehicles and certainly intelligent management systems. Um, we in Virginia are fortunate. Uh, we do have several universities where we have um, uh, these uh, uh, entities set up uh, to help us uh, move forward into the future, one at Virginia Tech, one at the University of Virginia. And, of course, we coordinate with other uh, colleges throughout the state in helping us look at uh, – the things that are changing in transportation. Um, but that is really the key that's going to help us also um, tackle the infrastructure uh, needs in terms of resources. Um, we're finding, and that's uh, one of the reasons why we put in uh, what we got our prioritization process called SmartScale. Technology is a big part of that. Can we use existing infrastructure better? Are there new technologies that give information or can we use the roadways better by direction changes and, and other uh, such uh, opportunities um, with new technologies? Um, you mentioned autonomous vehicles. Uh, no doubt that in the next uh, decade and maybe before, they're going to be present on our roads. Actually, they're present today in the testing mode. Um, one of the advantages that we believe in our, our uh, investment in hot lanes, there's a lot of technology in that road. That's probably where we'll introduce autonomous vehicles in the Commonwealth is on these hot lanes. 
but certainly um, the future is going to hold a lot of, of, of things that we don't know about now. And so we want to make sure that as we spend dollars, we're anticipating that and, and we add new roadways. Um, so from our perspective, uh, that's why we embraced Uber when it first came. Uh, we had uh, a partnership with Google and others, uh, uh, Amazon uh, delivering not only goods but, and, but also uh, people and services to automated vehicles. Um, we have uh, on the eastern shore at our Wallops uh, Space Station facility uh, a dedicated runway for autonomous vehicles, both vertical and horizontal landings where people can test uh, and move with uh, forward with this new technology. So uh, Virginia is open. We are planning for this. Uh, we don't know the future, but we're keeping our options open, uh, and we invest heavily in research but also in roadway development, uh, anticipating these uh, the new changes coming uh, from uh, technology in the future. One mode of transportation that we haven't talked much about is aviation. What's Virginia's role and your role as far as aviation goes? We're one of the few states that in aviation also dedicate, uh, have a fund, part of our transportation trust fund dedicated to aviation. Uh, we have 66 airports in Virginia, uh, nine of which are carrier airports. Uh, the rest are either private uh, or reliever airports. Um, and so we uh, felt it uh, necessary, uh, besides federal dollars, the FAA controls most of the airports and, and the regulations, but to invest in facilities by the use of state dollars. Um, the depression uh, or recession uh, we had in 2008 uh, curtailed um, service in the Commonwealth, just like it did many states as the uh, airlines went through their reorganization. Um, so now it's about what is the uh, right amount of investment that we need to attract these major carriers. We have one hub uh, in Dulles Airport. United has a hub. Uh, we just extended that for seven years, uh, and that's critical to our air service in, uh, in making sure we connect the other airports either through that hub that gives us our gateway to not only just the United States but to the world. So from our perspective, it's all about how we are using aviation dollars wisely to uh, enhance uh, economic development opportunities uh, and the, the movement of people primarily, although cargo is a significant uh, uh, option also as we look at our aviation dollars. So my role is working with the airports and making sure we are competitive and making good decisions and attracting and keeping air service here in the Commonwealth. At the end of each of these interviews that I've been doing with the CEOs of the state transportation agencies, I like to learn a little bit about the person that I'm talking to. Now, some of the CEOs have worked in transportation all of their careers, while others were recruited from another field to uh, manage the transportation network in that particular state. What's your background? Yes, I found that I, my background is fairly unique uh, in transportation uh, in in the country. In fact, uh, this is my first uh, public appointment other than serving on the Commonwealth Transportation Board before. My background uh, has been in finance and business. I uh, undergraduate degree in accounting and my master's in international business, MBA, uh, uh, and so I approach uh, transportation a little differently. I like to tell people that uh, I don't have an engineering degree. I'm not encumbered nor enlightened with that degree. I look at things at problem solving, 
And in fact, what I've found in Virginia, the biggest issues in transportation have not been engineering uh, because we have plenty of engineers that can solve them. In fact, when we get it to engineering, I'm comfortable we're going to solve it. But it's really been in resource allocation and the assessment of risk. Um, that's really where I spend most of my time. We talk about public-private partnerships. That's something new. It's going to be a big part of President Trump's infrastructure plan. Uh, there are many states not equipped to handle those because that is a negotiation with a private party, and many of these are some of the most sophisticated investors in the world. Uh, they require a whole lot of preparation uh, and a different level of expertise uh, to do those well. Um, so um, my background, I think, has been helpful in having Virginia look at transportation differently. Uh, limited resources have consequences. Uh, and here before, uh, they were uh, the consequences were mostly political, and we really weren't facing uh, uh, what most businesses would is, is how do we allocate these resources for the taxpayers to get the biggest bang for their buck? In fact, one of the things in my private uh, uh, industry before now, I spent most of my time trying to solve problems. I found in government uh, a lot of times the problems are uh, sometimes want to be covered up uh, because people don't want to get in trouble. So it took me a while for, for people to understand that, no, I'm not trying to come down on you. I want to know what the problem is so we can solve it. Um, so um, I think that's been a different view of, uh, of transportation. I want to point out to Governor McCulloch, when he asked me to do this job, I, I said I was going to approach it more from the CEO perspective, more than a political perspective, because I'm not very political by nature. He allowed us the freedom to do so. Um, and I think that's where transportation is going in this nation uh, as we attract private investment and have to come to grips with how do we allocate these uh, limited resources and make them go further. So um, from my perspective, um, I think that's what you'll see a lot more uh, instead of having uh, CEO, CEOs become from an engineering background. I'm not being negative of engineering, but it's a much more broad perspective and a much bigger background that's going to need, I believe, to be successful in transportation in this country. We've been talking with Virginia Transportation Secretary Aubrey Lane on Transportation Radio. Secretary Lane, thanks so much for your time today. Bernie, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you.